Beware, spoiler phobes. You've stumbled upon a storm of spoilers, mailbag, and Stranger Things 2 special. That's a mouthful. Welcome to a storm of spoilers off-season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and my favorite arcade game was the Jurassic Park arcade game that you had to sit inside. That sounds so cool. I'm Joanna Robinson, and I'm really upset to hear that that exists, because my favorite arcade game is... I've never played an arcade game. I I can't think of a single one. So uh, someone find me a Jurassic Park arcade game, and I'll play it. And I'm Neil Miller, and I've played a bunch of arcade games, one of which that I really love is Street Fighter. Love me some Street Fighter. Yes. Because it was an arcade game before it was Nintendo. To a David Busters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now I'm really regretting not joining you guys at Dave and Buster's at Con of Thrones last year, because I could have at least one arcade game that I could name, you know? All regrets. <laughs> Uh, We're doing our favorite arcade games in honor of this mailbag show's second half, which is going to kind of get closer to Stranger Things Season 2. We're going to do a calm section. We're going to probably do a little bit more in a storm section if you haven't caught up with uh, Stranger Things Season 2, streaming on Netflix right now. But the first part of the show, as promised, are answering some listener emails. But first, we have our normal two segments. Joanna, do we have any reviews? really glad you said but first so slowly because it gave me time to in a panic open itunes and check for (laughs) reviews um but not enough time so i'm still stalling as i look it up this is fine you can edit this out later your review vamping is some of the better (laughs) the better vamping i'm not gonna edit it out (laughs) okay well it's funny because we do i know we have some new reviews and here i am sorting them yes this one comes from Ebonomar, five stars. A S O S, that's us. Colon, my new best friend. That should be the name of like uh. our franchise movie, right? Like Storm of Spoilers, colon, my new best friend. Um, Ebonomar writes This podcast has become one of my highlights of the week. The cast is extremely entertaining, and I can say these are people I would have hung, out, hung around in high school with to get a good laugh. I've enjoyed listening to the spoiler section post-season 7. I can't say I will be riding the storm when season 8 rolls around, but the column will suffice unless George R. R. Martin puts out winds and dreams before season 8. Ha ha ha! a good one! Uh, there was a fake interview, <laughs> fake Spanish interview. Well, maybe we'll talk about this later. Okay. Uh, and then this one comes from Flap underscore Jackson. Five stars. Great for pop culture and Game of Thrones. My favorite Game of Thrones podcast and also one of my favorite pop culture podcasts that goes on deep dives of the stuff I love and are consuming at any given time. Only part I skip is when they read reviews because of too many baby men complaining about SJWs or some BS. Fact, colon, uh, some nice stuff about us. Okay, so those are some lovely (laughs) reviews. 
Thank you for leaving them. We are we are sort of like getting a little uh, slim on reviews, though. So if you guys want to leave one uh, for us, you can do so. Um, I apologize once again for my terrible accent work last week. Thank you all for being so kind to me about it. And once again, to the nation of Australia, I apologize. Once again, to the nation of Australia. <laughs> Australia is getting it doubly bad this week because they are going to get two weeks of wondering what we think about Thor Ragnarok while America only gets this weekend. But that's neither here nor there. That's a fact way ahead. So instead, Neil, I hear that there might be some Game of Thrones news for we talked about this already this week. Actually, I'm super curious as to what Joanna was talking about with this uh, fake Spanish thing. So can we tell that story first? Oh, yeah. Um, so the there was a an article flowing around, I think it was, yeah, it was yesterday, two days ago, something like that. This week, there was an article uh, that purport, floating on Reddit that got, you know, widespread attention that purported to be a translation of a Spanish interview with George R. R. Martin, where he said he would probably deliver Winds of Winter September 2018 or in September or something like that. Um, and then, you know, our smarter friends who do Game of Thrones news were being very cautious about it, whereas the uh, usual suspects who are not cautious were just running with it. Uh, and it finally got sort of exposed as, as a fraud, as a prank, I guess, or something like that. It's rough with those translation ones, man, because, like, you could you could just, like, I mean, you shouldn't pick Spanish, but really more people should should probably try to, like, perpetuate these frauds by translating, like, really obscure. Oh, um, George R. R. Martin gave an interview in Sanskrit, and this is what it says. And I'd be like, well, okay, I don't speak <laughs> Sanskrit. Um, so... Anyway, if you saw a rumor floating around this week that there was some kind of date on Winds of Winter, it was a lie. So, sorry. It was an untruth. An untruth. Cool. All right. Well, that's, you know, I feel like that's like a PSA. You know, sometimes you just we, we provide you with uh, your public service announcements of the week. The other thing that I noted related to Game of Thrones, it really the only production news that we've gotten this week past week or two has all been around them building big ass castles and big ass siege weapons or siege uh you know the things that you would use for a siege towers trebuchets all those fun things so we just spoiler alert there's gonna be big battles at big castles in game of thrones season eight so that's that um the only other thing I have, because we moved all of the uh, fun emails into the actual segments of the show, is that don't forget Con of Thrones, May 25th through the 27th in Dallas. Don't forget. Go to conofthrones.com. You're going to want to be there with your Tormund Lives t-shirts on, and that's we'll see you there. Okay. Yeah. Come that's see all us. I have. Should we talk about, well, I feel like we've been doing this running sort of like Justice League Watch conversation. Like, is Justice League going to be Do we want to talk about Justice League? Because I have Justice League thoughts, I'm, but they're mostly it, about the score. Is it a real movie? I, well, I want to talk about what Henry Cavill said and sort of what we think about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's let's do that. Okay. So since, I mean, like, I really think this should be like an unofficial, like, taking our 
current temperature on Justice League as we run up to the movie. It's opening next month, right? We don't have much more. Um, no, it opens time. in like three weeks, two weeks or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like two weeks out. Okay, so this is what, in an interview with The Rake, is that a real publication? I don't know. But in an interview with The Rake, Henry Cavill said that, um, I, can't, I can't find this long quote that I want. Okay, basically he said, mistakes were made in the DCEU. Yeah, they made a lot of money, but he, I mean, he just said what everyone knows, which is that even though the DC films previously um, that Henry Cavill has been in were profitable, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were like good movies or great movies that people want to rewatch. I know your mileage may vary. There are people who did like those movies. And he was basically saying that like, it's not about competing with Marvel necessarily, though obviously it is, but it's about sort of the wrong tone that they struck that nobody really wants. I mean, basically, Henry Cavill is saying everything everyone's been saying who doesn't work for DC, but the fact that like the star of the DCEU is saying it is a really big freaking deal. Because, you know, these companies won't, won't ever admit that they've done something wrong and uh, or at least not in like this blunt of terms. So what do we think of, uh, and to me, this signals what we've already seen, which is like a real shift in tone. We've seen this already and we expect it, but like the fact that Henry Cavill feels so open about being like, yeah, that old tone was terrible really feels to me like he knows that the new movie will not be delivering that. What do you guys think of what Henry Cavill said? I don't think he's seen the movie, so I'm glad that he's listening <laughs> to the fan base. But I like was very happy to see a little clip on Telemundo this week, and that's the first thing to make me think that there actually has been a movie since somebody has pointed me out that uh, Cyborg's eye cover uh, switches sides in that sequence. So maybe it's not quite a movie yet, but certainly it is down to the wire to the point that although Henry Cavill might have the experience of having gone through some reshoots, I, there's no way that he's seen the movie. I don't think he's seen the movie. I don't think he's seen the movie. I don't think he's seen like some of the movie. I think it, whatever he's seen of the movie, there's no guarantee that what he's seen is still in the movie. Okay. Um, certainly not his mustache. Neil, what do you think of what Henry Cavill said? <laughs> I don't think there is a movie. I think this is all a prank. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think you're right. It's all, um, you know, it's, it's good that he's listening to the fans. Um, it's interesting that they're willing to admit that, uh, that those other movies were bad. Um, he might just be talking about Suicide Squad for all we know. Um, yeah, I mean, Henry Cavill, stay woke. So I will say this for Justice League. I have an invite to a press screening. That press screening is two days before it comes out. I don't know what that means. All right. so usually that's a quality thing, but because we're rushing it with reshoots, I don't know what that means for Justice League. But I mean, if they it means they have a movie, a screening, or will have which a movie. is, uh, you know, good start. Here, here, yeah. here is the full quote. Sorry that it took me so long to find it. Even if Marvel didn't exist, we'd struggle. There was a style they, DC, was were going for in an attempt to be different and look at things from a slightly different perspective, which hasn't necessarily worked. 
Yes, it has made money, but it's not been a critical success. It hasn't given everyone that sensation which super superheroes should give the viewer. I feel like now the right mistake has been made and they can't, haven't been pandered to. And we can start telling the stories in the way they need to be told. I don't know what that means. It's even better to come back from a mistake or stylistic error into the correct vein because it will make it seem that much stronger. No, that's not true. But okay, buddy. Uh, Wonder Woman was the first step in the right direction. So there you go. Yeah. All right. I mean, he's Justice not League. wrong. He's so. not wrong. Justice League, is it a movie? Will it be a better movie? Uh, I say maybe and maybe. <laughs> <laughs> really? Justice League, really, check it. Uh, you know, planting my flag on this opinion. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have one more week to... <laughs> To plant your flag on whether or not it's a movie before something's going to be in theaters. Justin, Justice be... League colon isn't a movie will be our segment again next week. <laughs> <laughs> a week? But the week before it comes out, yeah. that'll be our segment. Yeah. Ooh, man. All right. Actually, we're going to have to change our schedule around because I think we were all assuming we were going to get into something a little bit earlier. But, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to adapt. This is part of our adapting. We're letting you know our week-to-week thoughts on Justice League. But that's not what this episode's about. This episode's are about your questions, which we are going to get to right now. All right. Who wants to read question number one here? I want to do it, actually, because I'm interested in the first part of the question as a separate part from the second part of the question. From Brynhild, what have been your biggest irrational fears, phobias, and did you overcome them? That's part one. I would like to break out. Uh, I get the only reason I felt really passionate about starting with that one is because mine is underwater dinosaurs. Ooh. And no, I've never gotten over it. I've attempted to force myself several times to go through Universal Studios Jurassic Park rides. Uh, but that still freaks me out. It freaks me out watching a YouTube video ride through of that ride if the sounds correctly recorded um and the only way i could deal with that since i haven't overcome it is dave does not do oceans i understand there aren't dinosaurs but (laughs) that body of water way too big i do beaches i do piers do not do oceans i've never been in a boat where i can't see uh land what uh it has something to do with um dinosaurs Wow, that is a really good ar- underwater dinosaur. That's a really good irrational fear because I was trying to think of a rational fear I have, and like the, I, I can't think of a great one. Like I have a fear of heights. I have a massive fear of heights, but like that feels rational to me, and it feels rational. Like your fear of the op- like open water and ocean, that feels rational until you say the part about dinosaurs. <laughs> well, then- I could trace it back to a dream I remember having where I'm falling into an endless ocean and I land in the ocean and the fall doesn't kill me, but I'm kind of like slowly falling through the water and then I land on something, but I can't see what it is because it's all black. And then the giant lid of an eyeball opens and I'm staring into an eyeball and then I wake up out of fear. Oh my goodness. Um, I feel like I'm going to have that dream tonight. Yeah. It's very evocative. Um, yeah. I, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm sorry, Brynhild. I don't believe I have a, irrational fear i believe my fear is very rational which is a fear of heights i mean the low height at which my fear starts is not rational <laughs> like <'cause>, like <laughs> me being on like a counter freaks me out 
But uh, the other thing I will say is anytime I watch a movie and there's like a skydiving scene, I like tense up. It really upsets me to watch people skydive. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's my fear. What about you, Neil? Do you have something more fun? I was going to say, do you want to hear an irrational height-related fear? Because <laughs> I have yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I, have an, I have a fear of heights, but only specifically when I'm in a tall building. Oh. So, like, if I, you know, flying is fine. Um the fucking big uh what are they called ferris wheels are fine i could probably even do skydiving because it's so high who know who even knows how high you are but if i am at probably i don't know let's say 20 floors or higher and i am near a window that is the most terrifying thing i think my irrational fear is being pushed through the hundred hundredth floor window of a building Wow. Like, like I see people on Instagram post pictures of the, um, I guess I have no idea what it's called now, but this, what the, was the Sears Tower in Chicago where they have that viewing deck and there's that, um, there's that thing that you go out on. Like there's like a little glass protrusion where you can sit and be, you're like sitting outside the 108th floor or whatever. No. That is, that's the most terrifying thing I can possibly think of. Oh God. No. Thank you. No. Yeah. It also manifests <laughs> um, when I was watching the Jason Statham mechanic sequel, because there's a thing about a guy who's like on the 50th floor and he has a pool that hangs over the side and it's got a glass bottom. Ah, no. no Couldn't no. do it. Yeah. No. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Planes don't like I'm not afraid of flying in a plane. That's somehow like a different fear than fear of heights, I think. Uh because it's just yeah. so crazy that I think humans have compartmentalized that as not like I'm really high up, but like I'm in a thing that could burn into a million pieces or something like that. Um, I don't like flying because I don't like uh, people and being near them. But um, I, I, it doesn't. Oh my god! Every single tall thing <laughs> you described, Neil, just gave me the heebie-jeebies. It's so upsetting. <laughs> Glad we started with this question. Yeah, it's a good question to start with. Uh, Brent Hill has a second part, a second question. Uh, if Westeros had a tradition of Halloween, how do you think your favorite Game of Thrones characters would dress up? I have a couple answers for this. Can I go? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, they're not my favorite characters, but I believe sisters, uh, Arya and Sansa Stark. Uh, Arya would definitely dress up as Nymeria. Warrior, Warrior Queen Nymeria, I believe. Uh, Sansa would probably dress up as John Quill, uh, one of her favorite maidens from folklore. Uh, and then I guess I, I should try with my favorite characters, Jorah. And it's like, what would Jorah dress up as? And I want to be like, it's, he would probably, like, it's whatever would impress Daenerys. That's what Jorah would dress up as. So I have to say he would like, he would come with like a really cool dragon costume. And he'd be like, I dressed up as your favorite thing. And she, like, will you look at me the same way you look at your dragons now, please? That's probably what Jorah would do. So those, those are my answers. <laughs> <laughs> my answer is also fucking with somebody, which is I think Littlefinger uh, could dress up as uh, Rickard Stark. Oh, sick. Sick. Oh, man. super gross, too. Yeah. Like a, like a, do you think Rickard Stark with like the noose around his neck and like the, like, like a dead Rickard Oh, star? like purple, like Ollie, yeah. Ollie, Ollie style Rickard yeah, star? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Sick. What do you think, Neil? Um, 
I think Sam would dress up like John, which wouldn't be a huge stretch for him, but I feel like that's also, you know, Sam's thing. He would he would go as John. Because, you know, they're friends. He loves what them. About, what about Torment? Torment doesn't do costumes, I don't think. Yeah, that, that feels right. I think Torment would be like, I'm <laughs> going as myself, and myself is amazing. He's like whatever that... Uh, what is it? Is it um, Jesuits who don't celebrate? Nope. I just made... That's terrible. Who, who Mormons? Don't, Mormons don't celebrate Halloween? Yeah. I have that's no idea. Like, Torment, like Torment's version. It's, you know, it's the whatever... Sorry. Whatever faith it is. Let me be more respectful than I'm being. Whatever faith it is that does not celebrate Halloween and birthdays. Uh, <laughs> I forget what faith that is, but that's a faith. That's true. It's not Mormonism, I don't believe. Um, yeah, I think I don't think that's true. I want to say it's like LDS, but that's not the same as Mormon. Anyway. That's, um, that is Mormons. No, but we've like... De- we've derailed. Oh, God. Everything's bad. Okay. <laughs> um, there was a point about not celebrating birthdays, and that Tormund would be probably be that person. Well, but just not because of Jehovah's what sort of witness. God he believes that's in. That's what it is. It's Jehovah's Witness. Okay. Wow. I've, I'm uh, Now that I've alienated like... My, some of our <laughs> listeners and I really apologize um, with apologies to Mormons and Jesuits and Jehovah's witnesses <laughs> people. Um, it's a, uh, you know, Tormund's like, I don't do your things. I don't kneel. Um, and I don't, um, you know, you know, whatever it is, the wild, if he wants candy, <laughs> he's just going to take yeah, the candy. He's not going to do pageantry <sighs> for candy. Thank you for saying it in a way that like, has nothing to do with actual real life religions and upsetting people. All right. Um, yeah. If you could pivot to candy instead of pivoting <laughs> yeah, to religion, basically that's always candy. the better choice. God, Joanna. All right. Um, I'm going to read this next email. Um, Go for it. Because this comes from a total stranger to me, AJ and Elsa Bronte. I do not know him. Definitely did not pay him to write this email. Sounds like sarcasm. Um, AJ and Elsa Bronte wrote, I was wondering if you guys would do a Buffy 20th anniversary show. I believe their actual 20th anniversary is while you're recapping Game of Thrones seasons. It would be interesting to take a look at how things have changed since Buffy first came out. Well, I want to say a couple things here. First of all, once again, I definitely did not pay AJ from Elsa Bronte to write this email. Um, secondly, if you <laughs> want to hear some like good reflections about how Buffy sort of fits with our our current sensibilities i would really recommend um the podcast buffering i was on i recorded an episode actually this week to talk about an episode called lover's walk um which is a great spike episode uh something i discovered while chatting about this email with my co-host uh neil miller is that neil miller has not seen any buffy the vampire slayer hmm. that, this uh, is true Dave was not privy to this conversation. So what Neil and I decided without Dave. <laughs> Wait, Dave wasn't there? Well, Dave like dips in and out of chat, you know. He's busy. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> um what what Neil and I decided is that we will probably do some kind of Buffy podcast in 2018 in a slow time when Neil gets a chance to like watch some Buffy for the first time. So we can like compare his first time reaction to my, like I've seen it a million times reaction to whatever reaction Dave decides he wants to bring to the table. So yes, some kind of Buffy podcast, I mean, but probably sometime next year. So I do admit to skimming this part of the chat and I'm okay with it because I have seen all of Buffy 
and did at least an admirable push into the comic book continuation of the story. So I'm definitely comfortable jumping in different places with these characters. Nice. And I'm, I'm, in, I'm into it. Yeah. So some kind of Buffy podcast, whenever it is that Neil has some spare time, maybe over the holidays, who knows, to watch something other than the avalanche of TV and movies that we are constantly trying to keep up with. Yeah, I'm so sure there'll be a time where I have nothing else going on. So that's the answer to AJ from Elsa Bronte, who once again, I definitely do not know and definitely did not pay uh, to write this email. Someone's making money off of Buffy's 20th anniversary, <laughs> and it might be AJ. <laughs> um, <laughs> Neil, do you want to read this next one, or do you want us to keep reading the, the emails? Uh, no, this the one from Brandon in Seattle. I can read this. I know. Great. Uh, so Brandon in Seattle, uh, he has a question. It's very Star Wars-y uh, because, you know, we talk about Star Wars sometimes. Anyway, his question. I want to get your thoughts on my most burning question about my favorite Star Wars character going into The Last Jedi. Will R2-D2 fly? I think this is the biggest measure of how much the prequels will influence the sequel tech trilogy. We last saw, we last saw R2 at the bottom of a tall staircase. Personally, I'd be shocked if they don't fly up to the peak to greet Luke. What do you guys think? I feel like this is when, when he says you guys, he means, hey, Dave, is that going to happen? Yeah. Hey, Dave, what do you think? Um, uh, R2-D2 is a little dick. Um, so I, I need you to appreciate it for that some much. Point. Um, so we're going to say that R2-D2 probably will not fly. I'm going to say that Brandon's correct in the sense that it is a big measure of how much the prequels influence the sequel trilogy. The problem with making R2-D2 fly now is that creates a continuity loop, which they usually don't like to do uh, unless they have stories planned out. So if R2-D2 flies now, but he didn't fly in like Return of the Jedi when he has to get picked up out of the sand by a magnet, then you have to write stories about how R2-D2, you know, got his rocket thrusters damaged or had a different restraining bolt that we hadn't seen before in Java. And you have to sort of do it and undo it. I think it's a lot easier to just have this period in between uh, Revenge of the Sith and, um, let's say, Rogue One, where you don't have any idea where R2-D2 could possibly be. And yeah, maybe he gets gets rid of his rocket thrusters. It would surprise me if they have R2-D2 fly simply because I don't think we're going to loop around to the prequels until after we're done with this trilogy. So The Last Jedi, I'm not expecting to have a ton of prequel information, but I would would not be surprised if where we go after we're done with the story of uh, Ray and Kylo Ren is backwards and not forwards. Okay. Was that too much information to include in a question about whether or not R2-D2 is going to fly? <laughs> a simple no would suffice. I mean... I don't think so. Brandon in Seattle <laughs> says he'd be shocked if R2 didn't fly up to greet Luke. I think that, I think that's not in a tone... like. Well, I don't know. Okay, this this is my broader question about this, Dave, that I'm actually more interested in hearing you talk about. Uh, thank yeah. you for the inspiration, Brandon. Do you, how funny do you think Brian Johnson's um, Star Wars installment is going to be? 
I've heard tell that Chewbacca and R2-D2's business on Octo is Porg-based comedy. Great. So uh, while uh, Luke and Ray are off doing serious things and going to a forest tree and looking at old libraries, uh, our little cutaways are going to be uh, cute porglings uh, with probably the caretaker aliens and Chewbacca and R2-D2. Wait, so a uh, question. Um and maybe this is more information that our listeners want, but I want it. So R2 and Chewbacca are not what I would consider, like, really verbal. It's it's beeps and roars, right? Um, yeah. But I would watch Beeps and Roars, a Star Wars saga. Um, a Star Wars story or whatever it's called. But but Beeps and Roars. And then you've got Porgs, which ch- chirp, shall we say? So Beeps and Roars and Chirps. And then do the caretaker aliens, are they verbal? Um, apparently, yes. They have like a fishy, um, like Scottish or Irish or something in that like islandy oh, area accent. Uh, but Joanna, by the way you phrased your questions, you would love the series of short animated Star Wars shorts coming out from the Star Wars channels. They're called blips. (laughs) They involve all those characters you're talking about because it's nonverbal slapstick comedy. Well, yeah, so I was going to ask, like, is this, like, is this Buster Keaton comedy cutaway or is, or, you know, because without C-3PO, they're making, like, exasperated Britishisms. It's a different, it's a whole different, you know, without, you know, Han being sarcastic with Chewie or C-3PO being exasperated with R2-D2, like, we haven't really seen those characters do their, like, beeping and roaring much without their verbal companions. So th- it'll be interesting to see that, you know? It's going to be fun and hopefully really cute. And I'm a little worried about the Porg being able to stay on top of the seat of the Millennium Falcon because of a recent uh, behind-the-scenes look that has a rip in the seat. But hopefully if they fall on their face, they recover quickly. Porgs should be resilient. That's the hope. All right. A new hope. Um, Neil, do you have any thoughts on, on beeps and roars and anything else? R2 flying? Um, I think it would be weird if R2 flew up those stairs. Yeah, it exactly. just It would... It, tonally, I don't know if it would tonally. fit. Tonally. Exactly. I agree. Um, But I'm for bleeps and blorps and... All that. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was great. Um, all right. Who's reading the last question? Uh, I guess it's me just by order. Okay. So let's do it. Uh, Jim in Grand Rapids, Michigan writes, I was thinking the other day about formative pop culture experiences or movies, music, TV, that one experienced when you were young that you feel changed your feelings on fandom or your outlook on life. For instance, I remember when I watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail for the first time as it drove my appreciation of the absurdist humor in my teenage and adult life. More specifically, I don't remember if this was touched upon during the Valentine's Day mailbag, but who or what was your first pop culture crush? I remember mine being April O'Neil from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Probably drove my appreciation of intrepid women. Did we cover the pop culture crush? No. Because I feel like I I tell this story a lot, which is that uh, my first uh, dream that I could remember involving any sort of attraction or sexuality was a dream where I kissed Gadget Hackenwrench from Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've definitely not done this before. No, we have not 
talked about it because, first of all, this is the first I am learning to my knowledge of Gadget's last name. Um, but I'm glad you gave her like the respect of the first and last name. All right, go ahead. I'll never forget Gadget Hackenwrench uh, and uh, the way that she was good at technology and attractive and a mouse. <laughs> and at that point, when I was young and all I had was primal weird feelings, uh, kissing was the nadir of all contact. And uh, so, yeah, that's definitely my first pop culture crush. It was my first anything crush. It was a Disney animated mouse. Oh, my God. Good at technology, good looking, and a mouse. Oh, that's <laughs> the funniest thing I've heard. All right. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I dated a guy who his first crest was um, the lady squirrel from The Sword in the Stone. So, you know, this is, you're not alone. Ooh. Yeah, you're not alone with this. And if I had to pick like a first cartoon crush, definitely Robin Hood, uh, Foxy Robin Hood for sure. Definitely. Foxy, Foxy Robin Hood in more ways than one. Um, But my first pop culture crush that I can recall that predates uh, the Foxy Robin Hood actually probably doesn't, but um, this is what I had written down anyway. Um, Is makes me sound like a total uh, weirdo because I could not get along with anyone my age or not get along, but I had a hard time relating to children my age because my first pop culture crush was Jimmy Stewart. And that's not like a cool 80s answer <laughs> at all. Um, but I found him very dreamy and slinky and uh, smart and honorable. And I really, really loved Jimmy Stewart a lot. So that was my first, like, I don't know, it wasn't very, like, you know, you describe, like, a sexy dream about gadget is like my first crush wasn't very like it wasn't super like sexy it was like i want to marry him someday sort of thing you know what i mean so my feelings about foxy robin hood is def- definitely sexier um neil what's your answer um i've actually it, it, i honestly struggled with this one because uh i had so many crushes so many crushes <laughs> i'm just a lover um, but the, the one that comes to mind is Anna Klumsky in My Girl, Aww. which I feel like everyone had, but it was also like super schmaltzy version of having a crush where it wasn't, it was like, it was like pre-sexual. It was just like, I want to hold a girl's hand and have a My Girl. So okay. that's Veda, very schmoopy. Veda, Veda Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Anna Klumsky is great in My Girl and then went away for a while and now is great on Veep. Great, yes. great lady. And still um, a huge crush of mine. Yeah, she's great. Um, let's see. Do we have a more formative pop culture experience that changed how you feel about felt about fandom or your outlook on life? I feel like that's hard, I but mean, to like trace back super boring because my answer is Buffy and the reason my answer is Buffy is like it's the first show that I um like interacted with through the lens of the internet right because I went on message boards and that was the first time I ever like really went on message boards in pursuit of one specific fandom you know and you could definitely trace a straight line from that to me covering Game of Thrones in the most internet-y way you know so um you know a Please wake up from your comas that you just slipped into as I talked about Buffy for the millionth time. Um, gentlemen, <laughs> do you have answers? 
Uh, I have one. The uh, I I can't remember exactly which movie it was, but I'm pretty sure it was Mallrats. So like, and that was the first time I had because I like when I was little. I don't know. I just used to watch movies with my mom a lot, which is cool. Like now, it's like oh, I, I was a cute son, but like back then, it was like I was lame. But I think Mallrats was the first time that that was like in middle school, maybe that like I went with friends to see something, and it was the first like thing that uh, I had like a specific shared shared experience with people that were my own age and we became like fans of Kevin Smith, which, you know, all that sounds weird now, but very real Kevin Smith fandom. Cause we, we rented mall rats when we weren't supposed to. Cause I we think that not, happened to me with Kevin Smith. That, yeah. Also like in my teenage years, like happened across like, clerks and being like oh man that girl gave how many blowjobs 37 so, yeah, i think there's a <laughs> yeah i have a i don't know if it's it's hard to pin these things down in like for me at least like i feel like jurassic park was a turning point in something but i can't pinpoint how that changed like my view of the world or fandom uh or like the computer game tie fighter like the star wars tie fighter game i remember playing that with like some of my friends in what middle school and discussing with them the way they were geeky about star wars is what opened me up to like what was the expanded universe then so i'd always liked the movies but they're like here's why a tie interceptor is faster than a tie fighter and the models are different and these you know have different attacks and different bombing capabilities and that sort of sideways way into it got me eventually into like novels and uh, more video games and comic books and stuff like that. I don't think I would have necessarily been a huge fan of exp- huge fictional expanded universes if I didn't find my own side door into that. I think it would be weird to like grow up in today's Marvel society and be like, not only have I seen everything replicated in CGI, so I don't really know if what I'm looking at is real, but constantly there's stuff to feed my obsession. I really kind of miss the days where your obsession was going to be your obsession and you had to slowly find other people to help you build that out. I don't know if that exists today. But then again, our podcast is basically a prescription for that not happening. So I'm sorry, but that's how the time goes. (laughs) Yeah, now you just get on the internet and yell at people, strangers, anonymously. Yeah, that's right. It's a lot easier to learn everything and then have opinions about things really fast. But I don't know if I'm being exposed to more things or not. That's jury's still out on that one. All right, guys, we have some other questions from you, but they all involve Netflix's Stranger Things. So let's take a quick break and then come back for Stranger Things 2. Stranger Things 2. Stranger Things Season 2, but they don't want us to call it that. That's what it basically is, though, is a new batch of nine episodes (laughs) in the Stranger Things universe from the Duffer Brothers. Um, uh, I guess we're going to do a calm section in our game of thrones tradition and not spoil i'm going well, let's say 
let's try not to go past episode four. I think the first four episodes, because I have Stranger Things 2 is paced, we might want to talk about some of the events in that, but we're definitely not going to go into the end part of the season, at least for these first part. We're just going to kind of talk overview. Um, uh, I want to start with general notes where I go with this question. Joanna, Stranger Things 2, work for you, not work for you? Uh, worked for me more than I thought it would. Um, Ooh. And, and what was fun about Stranger Things 2, I don't remember. I feel like I talked about this on Little Gold Men, but I don't think we have a lot of listener overlap, so I'll talk about it here. Um, mostly watching it, you know, watching the screeners that Netflix sent out meant that I watched it, uh, you know, with my screener privilege. I watched it before it hit, you know, Netflix. And, um, that meant I just could just sort of like watch it at one step outside the fandom. And I really enjoyed doing that because it reminded me that I really did like the first season before it got kind of like chewed up by the fan response mm-hmm. to it. And so watching it again outside of that noise reminded me that I do like the actual property and I shouldn't let my feelings about the fandom taint that enjoyment. So, um, and what's been even better is that, uh, you know, unlike Stranger Things 1, which sort of like was this brush fire that spread over the summer last year as people caught on and caught up with it. Um, you know, everyone who's obsessed with Stranger Things is watching it that first weekend. It's just sort of like a contained focused thing. And I, it doesn't feel as annoying this year. Uh, as it did last year, the fandom, you know, like all, all, all the trade, you know, like all the trades, including my own are um, covering it like crazy people because that's what we do, but you can't really um, stretch out a uh, coverage of a Netflix show because, you know, people binge it or whatever that's inside baseball. But the point being for whatever reason, the fan reaction and the coverage didn't annoy me as much this year. Um, and so I, I'm happy to be closer to the same page as people as opposed to last year when everyone's like, Stranger Things is so great. I'm like, bleh, bleh, and cranky about it. And this year I'm not cranky about it. And that's better for everyone. So yay. Me for getting over my shit. <laughs> Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good way to get over your shit. Uh, Neil, Stranger Things 2, what'd you think? It, uh, it worked really well. It's... Um... I think we'll we'll talk here in a few prompts about like what didn't work. There's some weird, glaring stuff that it, it looks like they just tried stuff that didn't work. But um, overall, I, I feel like it's it's a really good example of how you of the reasons why you do it so quickly because the kids are this lit, almost the same age. There's a reason why sometimes it's a good idea to just pick right up where you started because you still have story to tell and just telling that story. And uh, you know what? It, no matter what you think of like the story that they're telling in, in season two, the characters are still indelibly charming. And that's kind of all that matters when it comes to people liking Stranger Things, I think. So I, in that regard, it works extremely well. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised well not even surprised just pleasant pleasant i was pleasant (laughs) it was pleasant uh i think i'm I'm a little lukewarm on it it was definitely enjoyable and fun which is what i want for my netflix series so but don't take any of these criticisms like 
you guys take my slight Game of Thrones criticisms as saying I hate the show. Show's good. It's just really weird to me how it's getting pulled in between the we want to be our own like movie thing narrative and they also want to have the TV show trappings. They want to do uh, love triangles. They want to have sudden tonal shifts. They want to have cliffhangers that exist outside of your season or pod or episodes. Um, they want to introduce new characters um, that haven't been foreshadowed in some sort of way. So I think the more that they embrace becoming a TV show, the better it's going to end up being for Stranger Things. This one just felt a little off because the first season so well self-contained as something that could have existed on its own. And, you know, we could have made up what happened to the Ego waffles in the forest and what happened to the kids later on. And if the lab ever, you know, dealt with its crazy gate to another dimension, we could have dealt with that all in our minds and not necessarily come back to it. Since we have come back to it, that involves changing, I think, the method of the storytelling into what would be more better served as a TV show. So I think when they're willing to embrace that and do a 80s sequel uh, as like a pastiche or a theme rather than actually trying to be a standalone sequel, um, I think it doesn't do as well. So we'll see how Netflix moves forward with Stranger Things 3. I think it's going to be more like this, but in terms of being able to download nine episodes, uh, eight of them being very good, uh, directly into my brain for, from Stranger Things land over Halloween break uh, was excellent for me, I think. So Yeah, it's a pleasant... It, you don't have to think about it. It's pleasant. Pleasant for Neil, excellent for Dave. Uh, Joanna gets over her shit. Stranger Things too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't even we I didn't have, even have to go to episode four. Well, I, ha- I have things to say uh, in this um, first email. I'm just gonna dive right in. We got an email from Astro, uh, and this is I'm gonna use my response to this to kind of respond to what uh, Dave said. Um, Email from Astro. My question is, after season one, other than the obvious cliffhangers, it felt very much like a complete package. When I heard season two, or the sequel, was a follow-up, I wasn't really sold, and nothing I've heard so far has changed that opinion. Should I watch season two if I am satisfied with what season one was as a whole, or should I wait for season three to come out if I want to experience a complete arc? In other words, do you guys think the second season lessens season one? Um, And I would sort of challenge Dave's you know, opinion that Season one was a good... I mean, what? Uh, so unlike you. Oh, no. <laughs> that makes me feel bad. But no, I was kidding. Um, <laughs> no, no. You could challenge my opinion. That's what this is for. Um, Don't let me shout you down. That, that Then the men win. <laughs> um, well, like, you, you say that season one is a is a contained thing, and, and, and so Astrosaurus says complete package. But yeah, there were just such obvious cliffhangers of the first season. And I like that season two, you know, without, I don't think it's spoiling to say it doesn't have a lot of cliffhangers at the end. Like season two actually does feel like it could be the end of something. We know actually they're going for four seasons. So Astro's question about should I wait for season three? Like maybe you should wait for season four if you want the complete package. Because that's, I believe, their current plan um, is to do four seasons of this. Uh, does it le- Does season two lessen season one? Uh, I didn't feel that way at all. Um, I feel like, I mean, I can't get too much into it because it's an answer to another question, but 
there's a character arc that goes from season one through season two that I find so completely compelling and satisfying. Um, and the way the uh, some of the other characters tread water doesn't really bother me. But nothing really, other than, I don't know, one big messed up in season two, nothing really lessens the first season for me. And in terms of like the 80s pastiche that Dave is talking about, I thought it was actually like very subtly done. Like, I think, I think they did learn... I think they learned some bad lessons from the fandom, actually, for season two. Uh, all of the Barb stuff included. No one cared about Barb. <laughs> At least not the way they thought they did. <laughs> but um, but in terms of, like, they didn't get too, like, hacky with their 80s homages. I still like, I like the way they do homage in Stranger Things. Because it's like, I see all of your references... But it's not like so, like clangingly obvious that it brings the whole thing to a screeching halt. You know what I mean? So can I have? Uh, I have a question about Barb. Yeah, the Barb thing. Mm-hmm. Did you think that the overwhelming amount of Barb photos in Barb's parents' house was some sort of small commentary on the fandom? Like, like, look, someone is also obsessed with Barb, and it's her parents. Like, there's a picture of Barb in the bathroom. I couldn't figure that out. Some people have pictures in the bathroom. They do? Well, first of all, they paid the actress to come back to take those photos. So I imagine the maximum amount of photos they could get out of her for paying her to come back oh as Barb, which was not part of the plan. Uh, they two, paid the her funny thing to that take I- those photos? Yeah, that she's on the Stranger Things too. She went and did got dressed up as Barb again and took all the photos. That's, oh, they couldn't just crazy. Photoshop her. Yeah, they couldn't just like composite that shit together from season one. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, and then well, maybe it was also just a actual hashtag justice for Barb meant justice for Shannon Purser in, in form of a season two paycheck from a Netflix windfall. Um, but I also think it's funny that. Barb's parents have the hairstyles of the Dursleys. Oh. Like, really specifically. I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's just, like, they were both 80s hairstyles and the movies, you know, you kind of don't notice that because it's Britain. Uh, and that's when they were both con- considered uh, popular things. I, I don't know. I, Hairs- yeah, I love the Dursley, Dursley hair. I love that. Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to find a photo. Oh, okay. Huh. All right. I'm looking at Barb's parents, and now I'm going to look at the Dursleys. I feel like you're just like being big guy mustache-ist. Um, Dursleys here. Isn't the, the mom's hair have like the bob that curls out at the bottom, just like yeah, Lady Dursley? Yeah. See that? It's similar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it might just be, it might be by accident, but it was enough that it is, it is someone fairly, brought it up to I'll, me and now I can't unsee I'll, it. I'll give it, I'll give it to you. Um, I'll allow it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the, oh God, the Barb stuff, just terrible idea, I think. And so then, I like, liked um, it. I liked that someone cared about Barb. But like, then and that Nancy's- there was justice in the end. But then Nancy's plot just gets marooned. Nancy gets marooned in the stupid Barb side plot for the whole freaking season, basically. Mm, Justice for Nancy. (laughs) Justice for Nancy. (laughs) I don't care about uh, Will's brother, who Matt Patch has called River Phoenix in a chat this morning, and that's all I'm calling him now. I don't care about River Phoenix. 
But I do care about Nancy, and I care about justice for Nancy's plot line, which got put off on an island this season in in service of Barb, and I hate that. So, I mean, I guess if Barb died like kind of for Nancy last season, then I guess Nancy's plot could die for Barb this season, and the next season. We'll just move on with our lives to something else. Yeah, but thanks really, to you, Barb. Really, we all we just got... thought justice made different things. <laughs> we also got uh, Brett Gelman, though, so I'm I'm okay with it because he was pretty funny. He's right. Yeah, he might be. He might be coming back. He's one one of my my watch watch for this character to maybe be more on Stranger Things. That's the other thing about Stranger Things too. Before we move on to some more details, so we don't have to. Just keep circling it. Um, uh, I kind of feel like more should have happened. I kind of feel like more should have happened. At the end of it, you're like, huh, I kind of feel like more should have happened. Well, that might just be me, though. Someone was like, are they exactly where they were? I mean, I guess this is spoilers. I don't know. Are we like spoiling the back half of the season? To say like... Okay, let's, let's, let's just let's do, a, let's do a clean break into the storm here. Well, is there, and let me, let me, we'll, can I just say one other thing for people who haven't yes. started it or whatever? Uh, in, like, I just want to talk about the new cast, not specifics, but we've got, uh, sure. Paul Reiser and Sean Astin are like the two sort of quote unquote stunt casting adults because, you know, they, these are actors who had uh, much to do in the eighties and, uh, of the time that it was referencing. And, uh, and then we've got, uh, Sadie Sink as Ma- as Mad Max, Max, the like new girl in school. And, uh, I'm not even going to attempt his name is Dace something as Billy. Isn't it the Daker? Boy. The Power Ranger. Daker Montgomery. Oh, Daker. Daker Montgomery. Oh, God, what a terrible, awful, why do you exist name? Daker Montgomery, who, uh, Neil pointed out to me was in Power Rangers, uh, as the, as the bully, Billy, uh, who is styled after Rob Lowe and St. Elmo's Fire. So, um, I love uh, Paul Reiser and Sean Astin in Stranger Things season two. Like, love everything that they do. Uh, this is like, I think Vulture had some headline that was like, Paul Reiser is stunt casting at its best. And I completely agree. Like, I was just like, it could have been awful. I think Katie asked, Katie Rich asked me or us, like, uh, how bad are the goodies references in, in, in terms of Sean Astin? Not like, th- not, no, no, no goodies shit with goodies shit in the season, but no goodies shit with Sean Astin. Like really. So, uh, I really like the adult stuff. The kid stuff I had a real hard time with. Like, I just don't really feel like these kids felt, uh, Billy, uh, Billy especially just did not feel essential to the season at all. They just felt like we should have new kids. So here are the new kids. I mean, I don't think it's Daycare Montgomery's fault uh, that his character doesn't have a backstory. <laughs> I, I was I, re- I was really compelled by what he was doing before I knew his backstory because I think like that sort of crazy character that could be like pure Stephen King bully evil for no reason, but then tells Steve to plant that one time during basketball practice. I was intrigued by that. I'm sadly still intrigued by that because we didn't get enough to be a, like a full character. But I like that performance if I don't like the character itself. Yeah, they did set those characters up to have like a mysterious thing. Like I was I was intrigued. I was like, ooh, why are they here from California? And when it turned out to just be like the normal reason why people show up in a small town, um, I was like, oh, okay, I guess. I don't know. Maybe there will be a backstory of like 
what's going on with uh, Max's dad. Like, why do they? Why are they uh, so far away? Other than, you know, he might just be a douchebag. All right. So might just be a douchebag. I, I do want to say something specific but, about this. So if you want to, if we want to run into the the storm, I am ready to chase it. All right, do it. We are in the storm. Now, guys, if you don't want to hear any spoilers for Stranger Things uh, Season 2, the episode is going to be that from here on out. Next week, we're going to do Thor Ragnarok in the MCU. Come join us, and we'll also check in on Justice League again right before it comes out. All right. We're in the storm now. I gave people enough time to stop listening. It's your fault now. If you get spoiled and you haven't seen it, you know what we're getting into. Go, Joanna. I am the storm brother, the first and the last you're in my way um all right uh yeah daycare montgomery <laughs> aka billy um <laughs> kept saying you know what happens right when i get angry or something like that right like you know what happens when you lie yeah. you know what happens when i get angry or like whatever and like that um i was like do you turn into the hulk like what happens like no he just I don't know. No, punches. He's things, just an abusive was, dick. Yeah, he's just an abusive dick. <laughs> he breaks brother. things. It's like super weird. I don't know. Um, the whole Billy thing just ugh, does not pay off for me. Uh, and then I want to say hashtag justice for Bob because I'm really sad that Sean Astin died. Um, I loved Sean Astin. Nice. Yeah, and him. Bob dies horribly. Like yeah. horribly. Yeah. But we do we see the demo demo dog eat him, but like how oh they do oh they do the like overhead all the beasts are yeah, there's like five of them eating uh, him. yeah well, his eyes are still open, okay, no, I mean, I knew he was dead, I was just hoping for some sort of like uh I made a joke somewhere that today about like demo Bob, like I want him to be the big bad next season, <laughs> but like he never mind, he got eaten, it's not his body can't come back to life. Possessed by evil, so never mind. Uh, justice for Bob. What about Bob? He's dead. That's what's what Bob's about. great. Although, great. although a lot of what goes wrong in this season is Bob's fault because he's the one who tells Will to stand up for himself against a giant fucking smoke monster, and that doesn't work out very well at all for anyone. I mean, mostly Bob. So I guess he gets what's coming to him. Wow. Well, you get a lot of good memes out of this for sure. Like, <laughs> just just look at Sauron and tell him to go away, and all those those such things. So I'm, I'm definitely on board for Meme Town, Bob. But his character, it, the great thing about Bob in Stranger Things season two, is that I hated him until the episode before he died, because <laughs> I was like, "You're lame. You do not deserve Winona Ryder. You're giving this kid horrible advice." You're way too into yourself. You like Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom's a great film. Screw you, How Bob. How dare you? How dare you? Mr. Mom's a great film. Um, like a woo-worthy film? Like if somebody like brought you home like three options, you're like, yes, fucking Mr. Mom. Nah, I don't know. Dad, but he's yeah, he dad, also likes he Kenny Rogers. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's positioned as a lame person that's in between Hopper and Joyce. Which is so stupid and because, that's... like, I don't care at all about Hopper. Like, the love story of Hopper and Joyce, I don't care at all. Right? Do you? Right. <laughs> care? No. I care about Hopper as, like, a dad figure for Eleven. But I don't care at all about this, like, we used to smoke cigarettes together when we were teenagers sort of thing. 
Um, yeah. I did care a little bit about Bob being like, oh my God, I get to date, date Joyce Byers. I don't think that that's her main name, but like, you know, the like cool girl in school and he was the lame guy in the AV club and now he gets to date her. He does deserve her. She's a mess. Who wants Joyce? Joyce is, Joyce is, no, you don't want to date Joyce. Come on. Right? She's, she's can't get any phone calls. She's a cuckoo bananas person. <laughs> I don't understand the allure, except she looks like Winona Ryder, who is a beautiful lady. Um, okay. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Oh, uh, you want to talk about Steve. Steve? Yeah, hell yeah, I want to talk about Steve. Um, do you, I already read an email? Does someone else want to read this Steve email? No. Uh, sure, I can. Okay. Email from F- Phil in Miami. Stranger Things gets dinged for being derivative or an amalgamation of various 80s elements. Uh, Though true in some respects, I think it has some original elements. Principally, Steve is original. He seemed like a cliche, undeserving, yuppie douche you've seen before. See Blaine from Pretty in Pink. He sort of redeems himself at the end of season one, but he really redeems himself this season and shows a lot of depth and character. It's to the point that he has somehow become my favorite character. I'm invested in the Steve character more than any other character. My questions to you. One, am I alone? Two, am I wrong? Three, am I crazy? Steve, though, am I right? Listen, Phil in Miami, you are Right. Uh, everyone loves Steve this season. Everyone loves Steve's arc. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of like an arc that carries from season one to season two. I can't really think of anyone else who has made um, massive leaps in terms of character between like across the two seasons. Um, but I feel like Steve has really grown into someone so interesting and uh, so compelling and yeah, you watch him in the first season, and you're like, I mean, I didn't hate Steve in the first season the way that some people do, but he seemed like the Bob, the guy in the way of the people who are supposed to be together. But just like Joyce and Hopper, I don't care about Nancy and River Phoenix, right? I care about Nancy, but I don't care about Nancy and River Phoenix. And so it's Jonathan. I know his name. Um, and so, you know, but I do care about Steve, and I care about Steve's happiness, and I'm really invested in this character now. And that's a really interesting thing they did because no one came out of season one being like, what's Steve going to be up to in season two? And uh, the fandom is like obsessed with Steve now. And it's not annoying me the way it did with Barb because it's earned because Joe Keery is great. And they just did a really fun thing with that character. So um, is this my um, like it, it? Is this only ladies feel this or ladies or people who are attracted to dudes feel this way or do you guys care about steve as well no steve's awesome yeah uh also i would like for there to be a spinoff that's just the steve and dustin chronicles yes where they travel the united states of 1980 trading hair tips and yeah apparently dropping meat catching basically i want it to be like supernatural the tv show but with dustin and steve where they're like fighting monsters so get on that, Stranger Things, Duffer Brothers. Um, who else would I put in that spinoff with them? The Ghost of Bob. What if it's like Steve and oh, shit. haunted by the Ghost of Bob? Right? Yeah. Yes. Although they yes. didn't really know Bob that well. <laughs> but they get to know Bob. <laughs> Maybe the <laughs> science <course>. teacher? They <laughs> oh, have to bring the science yeah. teacher on a journey of curi- of curiosity. Um, characters who I feel like remain complete nothing ciphers to me 
Lucas, even though I'm like, I'm like generally happy he got the girl. Like, I don't really feel like I understand Lucas as a character at all. Uh, well, but he's got like a whole supporting family of people he could. Lucas's little sister is dope. Thoughts and beliefs. Yeah, Lucas's little sister is yeah. a sassy little Liana Mormont meme character, but like, uh, that doesn't make him more of a character. Um, will, I mean, I, I will say this. No, no, I think it's Schnapps or Schnapp, uh, who plays Will. Like, I think the Duffer brothers have, have admitted they're like, we got lucky there because we cast that kid and we didn't like, work too hard because you know he's like barely in season one he doesn't have to do much and he had to do a lot this season and they're like we got lucky because he's actually pretty good and i thought i thought he was really good at what he did but he's still like just a weird little vessel tortured thing and not really feel doesn't really feel like a full human and then i i think that mike got majorly sidelined this season i don't know if it's like finn wolfhard was busy filming it or whatever or because 11's gone like you don't have as much mike but mike feels very sidelined this season which i wasn't super upset about but still like dustin feels like the only fully fledged character for me um of of those of those scrappy kids and um 11 i mean is not a human so I don't know what to right. say about her. She's magical. So she's her. Well, her whole um, arc is she becomes punk rock and joins a gang and then shows back up to save the day. That's right. her whole arc. Yep. I think could have been in another season entirely. She leaves. We don't know what happens. She comes back when she does. And then season three, we could deal with all these things. Yeah, I like, mean, I uh, I mean, I kind of like uh, the flashback stuff where it showed, like, what was happening to her before Hopper, like, picked her back up. But, but yeah, I, I think we should talk about the Eleven Joins a Gang episode and how that's, like, uh, the obviously bad episode. <laughs> okay, so this is episode seven um, that everyone hates, where Eleven goes to Chicago and meets her, quote-unquote, sister, Eight, a.k.a. Kali. Uh, which is an inauspicious name and a bunch of other exaggerated stereotypes of 80s punk rockery and uh, threatens a dude and comes home. Um, I hated this episode as many people did, but uh, for, I don't know if I can call him friend of the pod, friend of Joanna, Dan Feinberg of the Hollywood Reporter. And I like had this big argument about it. Dan has like got a lot of very smart opinions about TV and he really liked the episode and the only point he made that I really liked and agree with is he was like, he likes the character of Kali as this sort of like there before the grace of Mike goes 11. Like 11 could have become Kali, but because of her relationship with Mike and the humanity that she's found reflected in him, like she's not a killer. And Dan also felt like this episode was vital for making us reckon with the fact that 11 did kill people before and she's not doing that anymore. Um, and I agree with those points. I just feel like, I don't know that it, cause it was an entirely bottle 11 episode, right? Uh, yeah. And I feel like, I feel like they could have just, um, maybe just intercut over two episodes. Rather yeah. It than felt like a weird make- detour for the whole season. Yeah. Like it was like, it's like, well, that's a weird place to put it. But then I was like, well, where else do you put it unless you spread it out? 
Right. So why not spread it out? So I think I think isolating it into an episode uh, is is one of the things that people are objecting to. A lot of people are calling it like like it feels like a backdoor pilot, which is you know right when you um, when you have an episode that's really meant to spin off another show. So it feels like a spinoff for like Kali and Friends. Um, it, yeah. So I think there, there's an advantage to isolating it because then it's just one episode that bums us out and not a plot line we don't like spread out over multiple episodes. But I think isolating it is what makes it such a bummer um, for me anyway. Dave, Dave, what did you think of that episode? Yeah, I mean, I like the things you're talking about, about the necessary things that Eleven needed to learn. It just feels like those are things that she could have coped with with the kids. Like, I think any sort of separation of the kids in Eleven is not the correct way to go about things like solo 11 breaking free of hopper i liked but then she needed to either not be part of the story or be more central to what was going on in hawkins i don't dislike eight being out there and the idea of (laughs) kali being like a dark 11 uh but it feels so weird not only is it isolated but it's just that episode isolated and the only way that they even reference that episode existing is by bringing back Brenner from the first season, maybe, but choosing never to reference that to make it. She's, uh, he's her 11's gateway scar. Uh, but that's a switch that happens in the last two episodes, uh, without actually referencing that he could still be alive. So it all feels like kind of tacked on to get us to where we need to close the gate. I just think that if there came a time for this story to happen, I would have liked it to be more involved with what the rest of Stranger Things was doing at the time. So I guess I, I'm agreeing. I mean, I think that I, I doubt this is, I mean, we know that the Duffers listen to fan feedback, hashtag justice for Barb, but like, um, I, I feel like, you know, in their plan, in their mind, this is not the last we see of Kali. And if she becomes like a big bad of a later season, um, then this is like planting a seed. So it's not just completely, um, you know, hermetically sealed off from the rest of the plot. Like it's a planting a seed for a future plot. Uh, so that's possible. But, um, you know, thinking about Nancy and Jonathan, um, I know Dave, you didn't really like, I think you called it like a Doris Day rom-com thing that they had in Brett Gilman's uh, bunker. But, um, <laughs> but that is that could have been its own episode, and that would have been a terrible idea. But instead, they made that just like something we're cutting away to. And I think we could have, uh, I think we could have rejiggered uh, Eleven's plot a bit this season to sort of um, get her to Chicago maybe an episode earlier, and then you know space those uh, scenes out over two episodes. I think that would that would have been better. Um, but I do like her new look. It's great. Um, and I didn't realize that her hair was like a, an alien's joke, but now I get it. I was like, why does her hair look like that when it was like this stupid curly mop? But now that people are like, not only is there like some references to aliens, it's like a lot about aliens in season two. I didn't understand that, but now I do. Because I've only I only saw aliens recently, so it's not in my DNA. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Kali. Uh, and the, Kali. The other thing that hurts that episode for TV critics only 
uh, is that a bunch of us have already seen uh, the, uh, Hulu's Runaways, which is a much better version <laughs> of this Kali shit. Uh, so, you know, I mean, or those those of you who've read the comics, like, um, we've already seen a better version because we've watched the screeners. You haven't, but you should know it's coming. It's great. And so this just pales further in comparison to that. So, you know. Um, yeah. That feels like a good place to pivot into something that I forgot, which is that we crowned the scariest horror villain uh, this week. Oh my through God. Twitter poll. Uh, <laughs> no. Wait, 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 wait! I can be gracious here and and then redeem myself for for whatever it is that Dave accused me of earlier. Congratulations, Dave! Well earned. What a what a tremendous <laughs> win you had this week, and I support you. Thank you. All your endeavors. Yeah, as you guys might have heard or could infer, my aggressive penis won the <laughs> poll. Xenomorph from Alien with 47% of the final vote. Uh, um, uh, I was also informed that Xenomorph technically just means like an alien species, and yes, but you know, we could, that's why there's hashtag aggressive penis. Yeah, that, uh, that, so, was, that was from someone named Francis, who was definitely not a friend of mine and definitely someone I did not pay to harass you uh, on Twitter. Um <laughs> What are you doing paying people to harass me? <laughs> I see this conspiracy. Dark. Um, who runners <laughs> up were Hannibal Lecter and uh, Freddie Freddie Michael oh, Myers. Myers. Okay, yeah. So it was Michael Myers, Hannibal Lecter, and the Xenomorph, uh, which means Neil and Joanna did not even make it into the final round. Uh, yeah, I blame and- I blame populism for sure. <laughs> and then um, Lecter Lecter did pretty well, but uh, yeah, Xenomorph by by a mile. Uh, so congratulations, Dave. Good job. Uh, <laughs> yes. Is that your segue? Into Today the I win the Viking cats. <laughs> Today you are the thunder god, the god of thunder. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah. Neil, what are we up to next week? Oh my God. Next week, guys, we're going to Ragnarok and roll into the oh. MCU. What? That was funny in my mind. Um. Anyway, we're <laughs> it was uh, funny and it was a funny execution. Yeah, your homework is to go see Thor, uh, Ragnarok, which, uh, from all accounts so far, is very funny, and we could all use a laugh these days. So go have one. Also, my it's funny. Uh, my housemate uh, Theo, who's been on this podcast uh, previously. And I were talking about what we should watch in anticipation. Like, what should we watch to, like, get brushed up? And I thought he was going to say, like, Thor 1 and Thor 2 to, like, get back up on the story. But he's like, nope, we're going to watch What We Do in the Shadows. And I was like, you know what? That is the right choice. Watch What We Do in the Shadows and then go see Thor Ragnarok. Because from what I hear, those uh, previous Thor movies don't matter so much. But Taika Waititi does matter. Yeah. Taika matters... Fair. Watch uh, What We Do in the Shadows or Hunt for the Wilder People. Or I would say, like, I'm trying to think. I want to say, like, Beastmaster 2. <laughs> trying to get the, like, <laughs> tone. And I think it is. I think it's, like, Beastmaster in L.A. Sort of. Uh, well, you could watch What We Do in the Shadows. Then you get really high. Then look at all the like late 1970s hard rock heavy metal album covers you could Ooh, find yeah. and then you're pretty much you're you're on your way there and then maybe i'm like, gonna do uh, all of this 
Is there like a fun, <laughs> fun Jeff Goldblum thing to watch? Like, is uh, there a fun guy? Jeff Goldblum thing? <laughs> well, oh no, no, Earth Girls are easy. That's what you should watch. Earth Girls are easy. Ooh, that is a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um and so. Yeah. Oh, oh, we got more. Nope, that's it. More homework. That's it. Oh, that's all right. Um. Uh, so until next time. Guys, where can we find more of your excellent work on the internet? Let's start with Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, you can get me over at the uh, filmschoolrejects.com website. You can also follow me uh, at Rejects on Twitter. Make sure you follow the show, of course, at Storm of Spoilers. And uh, if you have things that you want to say to us about Thor, email us, stormofspoilers at gmail.com. And Joanna Robinson. Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com where I have um, an interview I'm kind of proud of with uh, Thor Ragnarok star Tessa Thompson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This, or you can listen to me on Fighting in the War Room this week. Surprise! Uh, buffering cast next week and Little Gold Men. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. You can find my Stranger Things What Does Season 3 Hold in Store theory posts at Thrillist.com. You can find Fighting in the War Room with Joanna Robinson bombing the end of our Thor Ragnarok review. The whole review is actually also interesting, but especially Joanna Robinson parts at FightingInTheWarRoom.com. And you can also find the rest of our Storm of Spoilers episodes there, including previous mailbags, the Valentine's Day one, if you like... Maybe you thought that pop culture crest question was interesting. You got a lot to do and a lot of movies to write. And uh, you don't have to listen to Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song because I promise you it'll be stuck in your head next week. See you then.